Hi, I'm Don Mackey, welcome to the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. This show is focused on providing strategies to empower community success and vitality. Each episode will feature interviews with cutting-edge rural development thought leaders and community practitioners, remarkable entrepreneurs from business, government, and nonprofits, and by sharing the learnings of E2 entrepreneurial ecosystems. Connect with me, learn more about E2, and subscribe to this show at energizingentrepreneurs.org. Hello, this is Don Mackey, your host with this edition of Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Joining me today are Deb and Dan. They're going to kind of share a little bit about their background here really soon. And so welcome to each of you. Thank you very much, Don. Happy to be here, Don. Great. Well, of course, Deb and I have worked together for a long, long time. And then Dan had a chance to work with you during the work in Central Appalachia. So it's great to reconnect and really appreciate you making time to be with us today. So, Deb, I want to start with you. You were foundationally involved in the Central Appalachia Entrepreneurial Communities Initiative. Would you share a little bit about the origins of this initiative and the focus of this work? And then, Dan, we're going to come to you with a question more specifically about your work in Appalachian, Ohio. Happy to do that, Don. I think the e-communities work in Central Appalachia really reflected the convergence on several fronts. First was the trajectory of the center, and we were 15 years or so into really doing some deep work across the country around entrepreneurship development. And I think we had built both a framework and some real tested field knowledge of how to do this work. And so I think the the timing for it was really good. We were also building some relationships within Central Appalachia, including with Michelle Decker, who was the former CEO of Dan's organization and happened to be the chairman of the Center for Rural Entrepreneurship's board at that time. So that was one thing. I think we were just ready to share in a new region the work that the center had been doing. The second thing was the significant investment that the Obama administration made in what was called power. And I'll look to make sure I don't say this wrong. Partnerships for Opportunity and Workforce and Economic Revitalization. That's the POWER acronym. POWER was really designed to push the federal response into places that had been negatively impacted by changes in the fossil fuel industry, particularly coal, that came about because of restructuring in the industry, but also the federal response to it, particularly the closure of coal-fired power plants. And so Appalachian Regional Commission was a really important partner in the power work and put a significant amount of resources into central Appalachia. Over a five-year period, and this our work started at the beginning, ARC invested $238 million in the region in almost 300 projects, and our e-communities work was one of them. The e-communities work was designed as a three-state initiative. It was a little different than many of the power projects that were proposed at that time. We focused on Appalachian, Ohio, where Dan is from, Eastern Kentucky, and then particular parts of West Virginia, the only state that's 100% within the ARC region. In each of those places, we identified a deeply rooted community partner. Again, Dan will talk more about this but a partner that was already doing some community building, community capacity building work, 
in their places, but in most cases, they hadn't really embraced entrepreneurship as a component of that work and saw the e-communities framework as bringing some additional value to the work that they were already doing on the ground, building some capacity for them in the communities where they were working. Each of those state partners supported a coaching team, and they all did it differently. The West Virginia Hub was working and already had community coaches out in the field, and we really worked with those coaches to build their capacity. The Foundation for Appalachian Kentucky, our partner in Eastern Kentucky, brought in a consultant whose job it was to build out the e-communities work in that region. And they partnered with the university, with the Brushy Fork Institute at Berea College to fill out their coaching team. And Rural Action really made the commitment from day one to build their internal capacity to do this work by building up a coaching team. And that led to hiring Dan and bringing that on. And our team, Don and myself and Dana Williams, we really were there to support those coaches, to bring the framework, to bring research, and to help them do that community coaching as well as possible as the work went forward. So that's a bit of the background in the sort of context setting, Don, and I'll leave it there unless you have a follow-up question for me. No, you've got this background piece down well, but I do think it's fair to say that this work that we all engaged in in Central Appalachia has probably offered some of the deepest learning in terms of how do we foster entrepreneurial communities. And so, Dan, I want to transition to you. As Deb indicated, you were hired specifically related to this initiative to come in as a coach. At least my observation was you really thrived and developed as a coach in this work, becoming very, very effective. So share a little bit about Rural Action and your work within this initiative. Yeah, thanks, Don. And it was quite a journey to come on as a community coach, which we've had a lot of conversations about that, but it was incredibly, incredibly full of new learning for us. Rural Action, just a little bit about our organization. We are a member-supported nonprofit in Appalachia, Ohio, which is 32 counties in the southeastern corner of the state. Rural Action has been in existence for more than 25 years now. And really, our philosophy is to help small communities do big things in ways that are sustainable economically, socially, and environmentally. And there's a number of sectors that we work in, everything from renewable energy, sustainable ag and forestry, entrepreneur support, environmental education. There's a whole range, but it all really stemmed out of the need in Southeastern Ohio to help communities figure out ways to kind of patch up some of the impacts of the fossil fuel era, especially with coal mining impacts. And we really started with stream restoration and then everything started to roll out of that. So the Entrepreneurial Communities Initiative that Deb described and that Rural Action was a part of the type of capacity building that was required for that is something that Rural Action had been doing for years and years and years, just in different sectors. Specific to leadership development to drive projects towards in communities, that's something that Rural Action had not really committed to deeply for about 20 years. So this project was a way for Rural Action to come back to intentionally building leadership capacity in communities for the purpose of supporting entrepreneurs. So we went into it with some background and some contacts in our communities, but really a lot of what I did was have to build from the ground up using some old leads and some old relationships and some related relationships. Our goal was to have seven communities involved in this over a five-county area and create 
entrepreneur outreach and support teams, essentially. We knew that there were so many small businesses of 10 employees or less, five employees or less, that were really what I call just under the radar of business assistance, simply because of the nature of how their businesses operate and how the entrepreneurs came about getting involved in their businesses. So the goal was to build these community teams to intentionally seek out these entrepreneurs throughout their communities and simply say, who are you, first of all? Tell me about your business. Tell me how you attained your business. What are some things that you're striving to do? What are the things that are getting in the way? What could you really use right now for help? We didn't ask any deep dive personal questions. We didn't ask financial questions. Everything was confidential. And out of that, we were able to start to glean some of the needs. Out of those seven communities that we aimed for, five we got pretty good traction out of over the three years of the project to varying degrees. And that was really based upon the readiness of the people that we were working with. And out of those five communities, we were able to gather, this is a few years ago, so I'm going back to my memory, but it was probably close to 60 businesses that they individually interviewed, which when you compare that to zero, that's really big because no one was talking to these businesses before. There was a range of responses that came out of this from the five communities Everything from the most basic survey and follow-up assistance to organizing networking events to creating a whole brand logo in one, in our smallest town of 300 people. They came up with a logo that all their businesses could share because that was what these businesses had identified as something they really, really would like as a common marketing strategy. The other neat thing about the project is we were able to offer some micro grants to each of these communities, which amounted to seed money to kick off some of these little initiatives that could get the ball rolling and get the excitement going for the entrepreneurs and the communities. At the very minimum, what we accomplished was every single community now was paying attention to these small businesses in a way they never had before. In the bigger scheme of things, I think the proof was in the pudding about a year ago, we had to wrap up this project but I still had contacts with a lot of the communities. When the COVID pandemic hit and businesses started to close and state closures came down and customers stopped coming without any prompting on rural actions part, I started to see chambers of commerce and visitors bureaus putting up information and assistance websites and emails and organizing workshops for these community members. So that was really, really cool to see that those lessons stuck with them and it was almost instinctive that they turned back to that on the ground networking that we had talked about so much. So the seeds are still there, I would say, and we're still nurturing them in different ways today. That's neat. I mean, it has been a challenge since COVID in terms of the work that's being done and how communities have coped, but that's a pretty powerful story that there was a legacy there of capacity and knowledge that allowed them to be much more responsive to their business community. That's neat. And I hope, Dan, before our time's over, I can come back and get your sense of the E2 framework, because it seems to me you really were effective in working within that framework, but also innovating off of the framework. We'll come back to that, and I want to get your view on it. Deb, you've been very busy. The last three months, I have been reading all of the stories that I know you didn't write them all. Many of these you're curated into a collection. 
It's now available through a website. Some of these are deep stories. Dan, you have contributed to some of those stories and you are featured in some of the stories. But Deb, can you share a little bit about this collection? Because I do think for folks nationally who want to learn more about this, even though I was part of it, I'm blown away as I begin to read all of the stories in terms of the deep learning that has come out of this project. Just a little context for it. This was a three-year initiative. At the end of the second year, we brought all the coaching teams together in August in Charleston, West Virginia, and we spent some time talking about what we had learned and beginning to identify some learning themes. And then we talked as a group about, Don, to your point, there's a lot of learning here. How do we share it? What's the best way to share it? And decided that the best way to do it would be to identify the themes and sort of the way I keep talking about it, hang the stories of the work on those themes. And so really dig in and use stories that had documented the work over time that had been published in newsletters and things like that. Do some coaching testimonials and really illustrate the themes through the stories of the work itself. And that led to identifying at least one deep dive story in each of the states. And those stories really took some aspect of this work and just that had happened really well in that place and just went deep on it. And I think really helped to illustrate the arc of how this work happens because those deep dive stories aren't just about all the things that worked well. They're about some of the restarts and challenges along the way. And so we gathered all that learning. We've created a webpage on the Locust site. I'll, I'll reference that at the end of the podcast. And it's really organized across these learning themes. And within those themes, there's a little bit of context that we've provided, just some grounding, if you will, and then a lot of stories that illustrate what we're trying to speak to, the importance of readiness and champions and using the framework. We're really proud of it. As you said, Don, it's a compendium of a lot of work that was gathered over the couple of years. There's stories of entrepreneurs. There's something, I think, to really speak to anybody that is doing this work deeply in the field right now. And before we move on, what are some of the key themes? Because I think that's one of the neat thing about the story curation is it, it does follow or is organized around a set of learning themes that are universal, at least as I read these stories, regardless of where you're at in rural America. The thematics that you pulled out of these stories have relevance to folks. So what are some of the themes that you came up with? The theme around champions was one of the really important ones. This is hard work. It's long work. You need people who really do believe in this work at their core, whether existing entrepreneur, someone who's an entrepreneur in a community, or someone like Dan at Rural Action, or a chamber president. I mean, you need someone who really is willing to commit their precious time and energy to moving this work forward and to kind of being the heart and soul of it over time. I think the importance of a framework, of a I'll call it a roadmap, but I think in some ways, the folks in Appalachia pointed out very early on their ability to sort of take the roadmap and use a Sharpie and direct a whole new route, (laughs) which I think is really good. It was a way to organize the thinking around this work and tools around this work, and then to give coaches the confidence to move forward. 
That community coach was another theme, someone that can help particularly the small communities that we were working with in Appalachia can be that trusted partner to just help them stay focused and keep making progress. Can say, Dan, as you did, can you just go out and do five interviews with entrepreneurs and bring the data back? Give that encouragement, bring some tools, but just be the person that can keep supporting them as they go along the way. The other thing that I think was interesting about the learning from this work was putting it in the bigger context of the Power Project and what it means when you have all those resources flowing into a region and how important community capacity is to be able to actually absorb and effectively use those resources. And so there were some important lessons around collaboration and partners coming together. So I think that was another important one. And the last one I'll share just in the interest of time is the importance of momentum, that it's hard if you don't have something to celebrate. It's hard to keep doing this work month after month after month. And almost all of the communities that really got some traction, as Dan described it, were ones that built a little momentum. They had an early win, whether it was just a really successful networking event that they could speak to or a really powerful workshop that helped a business get started. Those kinds of events that allow people to stop and say, this is really worth it. Even a successful conversation with an entrepreneur that you're able to connect to a resource, even if it's a very small thing to feel like you've got some momentum there. And that momentum often was around areas where there was some energy in the community. And in these small places, you've got to leverage the energy that's already there. And if it's about outdoor recreation and tourism, work on that. And many of the communities really did lean into some of those energy areas to create the momentum that they needed. And of course, all of these themes are organized on that website that you mentioned, and the stories are kind of nested under those themes, which I think makes it really useful. Dan, a question for you. One of the locations that I had a chance to do a little bit of work with you on that I think was one of the deep dive stories really hailed from Logan, Ohio, and the beautiful Hawking Hills of your part of the world. Would you be willing to share a little bit about that story? Of course, our listeners can go to that story and read about it, but I think it would be neat to get your perspectives on how this community ultimately wrapped their heads around this work and did some really amazing development. Absolutely, Don. Deb mentioned momentum at the tail end of what she was discussing and hawking. Or the Logan community is a good example of that, that rural action happened to catch them at the right moment with all the right pieces in place. And my job, as I saw, was let's keep the ball rolling. Let's provide you with attainable goals and also rolling with their inspiration. So the Logan community was the largest community that we worked with in the project, a population of about 7,000, I believe. They had an established chamber of commerce. They had a robust tourism economy south of the city in the rural areas, but not a whole lot in the main street. So there was a lot of activity when we stepped into there trying to bring visitors to the main street in the downtown of Logan. So one checkbox, people were ready to do stuff. That was really important. The second 
checkbox was that the Chamber of Commerce executive director was an entrepreneur himself. And he immediately grasped the value of this kind of a framework to get to know the entrepreneurs, bring them into the fold, because being an entrepreneur himself, he knew all of the different obstacles that a new business has to get over. He absolutely understood the value. So that was extremely helpful. The people that he brought onto his board, the chamber advisory board, they understood it. They were entrepreneurs. So very quickly, we were able to communicate the value of this and get someone to buy into it. Where we ran into a little bit of an obstacle was the capacity with people and time to actually go out and talk to business owners. The Logan Chamber made a pass at it and they did well, but they came back and said, we could just hire someone to do this. They were in the position where they had some funds that they could put towards a position. Rural Action had some micro grants that I mentioned that we could put towards a position. And the Logan Chamber director spoke to a neighboring town who had no capacity whatsoever and agreed to combine their micro grant from Rural Action. So between those two communities, and the chamber money that came in, they were able to hire a person to do this business owner outreach tracking and follow-up for a period of about a year. And they selected someone who had worked in the banking industry in that region, who knew almost every business owner whose husband was a business owner. So the person that they hired right out of the gate was able to connect with businesses instantly and would do these really detailed in-depth interviews with them. Sometimes for two hours, she would talk to the business owners. They came back with such rich information that it helped that community to see in in such detail the landscape of their small business owners and the opportunities. And the added value was that this person that they hired knew the resources so well herself. So on the spot, she could give a recommendation for the best follow-up assistance. Whereas in the framework, as you and I know, there's a group that kind of works on processing those within a community and then suggests follow-up. This business outreach person did that all in one fell swoop, which made it super efficient. And they were able to get out and connect with the vast majority of surveys that we gathered in the entire project. So there was a lot of good learning as to how this can work if there was this opportunity for the chamber and Logan to rethink about what a rural chamber of commerce should do in a community like this, that it's not about fundraising and events exclusively, you can really add value to the member's experience through this direct outreach and support. And I think as the project came to an end, they were in a really good position. Some of the key people involved had stepped aside for other reasons, but the mantra in my office was, if we needed to go somewhere to see something good happening, let's go talk to the people in Logan because they always had something going. And I mean, for us, that was a value for us as well. And they were a great resource for the other communities to kind of inspire people. Yeah, I think one of my biggest takeaways, and we've actually incorporated this now more formally into the E2 framework, is how can we help the community get to the point that Logan did in hiring staff? So we kind of addressed that in the work that we did in southern Minnesota with the REV initiative, but we're now working with folks in rural Oregon through the Ford Family Foundation, and that's actually being incorporated into the design of the program with some cost sharing to say, let's get to that point sooner, because it speaks to one of the learning areas, capacity. 
But I think it's also an accelerator. The sooner you can get out and actually begin to work with entrepreneurs, support some deal flow, it just really helps the community connect to this as, as a successful way to go. And the Logan story just has so many of the various lessons, Deb, that you've curated in the story capture that you've done. And so we really encourage our listeners to take note of that story, but peruse the others as well. As I warned you, 20, 30 minutes goes really fast. And so we need to wrap up. I apologize, but we need to do that. So thanks to each of you. But I do want to give you a chance to share with our listeners a little bit more. So Deb, how can people learn more about Locus Impact Investing? And we will be posting the site, but you might want to share a little bit more. And then Dan, I'll give you a chance to talk a little bit about how people can learn more about your work in rural action. Thanks, Don. Just very quickly, Locus Impact Investing is a nonprofit organization that's working primarily with place-based funders who want to have more impact by using the tool of local investing, beginning to reinvest some of the assets that they have amassed over time back into their communities. And actually, one of the areas that they often want to invest is in building the entrepreneurial ecosystem. And so a strong connection to the work that I used to do. So we are happy to have a conversation with anybody, anytime. We believe that community philanthropy needs to be more engaged with their communities to build these prosperous places. So please feel free to come to our website, locusimpactinvesting.org. And I am Deb at locusimpactinvesting.org if you need to reach out to me. We do a monthly newsletter. You can sign up for it which highlights some of the work of our partners in the field and would give you a really good idea of the kind of work we see happening in the philanthropic sector in both urban and rural places these days. So thank you, Don. You bet. And of course, we've got exciting news coming down to Kansas with the project that you're involved with, with the Kansas Health Foundation and philanthropy there. There's now at least two communities that have been part of the peer learning effort there that are getting their feet wet with impact investing. And so that's really exciting. And in time, we're going to hopefully have some of the folks back, including yourself, to talk about that work in Kansas with impact investing, supporting entrepreneurship. Dan, share a little bit about Rural Action and how people can learn more about you. The website is ruralaction.org. And that lists all of our program areas, all the sectors that we work at. And there's a bank of videos of the projects we've done over the years. The program that I am the director for is called the Resilient Communities Program. We made a little shift from the Entrepreneurial Communities Project when we started to realize the whole range of resiliency type efforts we could be doing with small communities and businesses. So we're under the Resilient Communities tab. And as far as getting in contact with me, dan at ruralaction.org, and just so your listeners know, the entrepreneurial framework that Don and Deb helped us to wrap our heads around, so to speak, and implement, I am still actively utilizing that same framework in three projects right now. One is with the Ohio State University Extension. We have a similar project going with three county extension offices. We're just now trying to launch a little bit of this in one of our northern tier counties with the outreach model. And even when we're doing resilience fund emergency business grants, 
in the past year, some of the questions come out of that same framework that we use for e-communities. So I'm happy to talk to your listeners, troubleshooting, problem solving. How do you get off the ground? What are some of the energy areas? How do you piece together what you have to get it to work? Happy to talk about that because we've learned a lot, but there's so much to learn. And I'm always inspired by hearing other people that want to try this once they once they see how it works. It really energizes people to want to do more for small businesses. That's great. And Dan, we're going to definitely want to have you back maybe a little later in the year to talk about your resilient communities. It's such a powerful topic right now. Two major recessions in less than a decade, natural disasters. It's really a concept that people need to address to find a way to prosperity given the challenges that are coming. So I may be darkening your doorstep once again to ask you to come on. So Deb and Dan, thank you so very much for joining us today for Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. I'd like to share a little bit of information. Of course, we will be posting these websites, Deb and Dan's emails, how you can get to these stories. And plus, we've curated a little supplemental piece that we'll be sharing with you, offering some of our observations that may be useful. We think this is a powerful story in its totality worth watching. Also, you can go to our website at www.energizingentrepreneurs.org for free resources. We welcome you to join the E2 National Practitioners Network. Dan, I think you have joined that and are a member of that, which means you can access our E2 University resources. We have our monthly electronic newsletter that is probably the best place to find new postings as we drop more of these podcasts or we issue thought papers. And then, of course, you can find Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast on all your favorite sites. We hope you'll give it a try and make it a regular part of your schedule. In the coming month, we will have a couple of more podcasts, one with Shelly from Network Kansas focusing on ecosystem building. Deb mentioned readiness. We'll be addressing readiness and organizing. And then I'll have Mylon Wall with the Heartland Center for Leadership Development, and we'll be talking about community capacity building, two topics relative to this work in central Appalachia. So we hope you can join us for those podcasts as they become available. So on behalf of Deb and Dan, thank you for joining us. Keep up the hard work in building rural America. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Head on over to energizingentrepreneurs.org where you can subscribe to this podcast and tap into more than 25 years of field experience from E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems. I'm Don Mackey, and I'll see you next time on Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. <music>